Good morning. It is truly a blessing that God has given us to, to be together. I'm thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful for God's work in you, um, for your love for the Lord, uh, your love and commitment to one another. Uh, it is such a privilege that he has given us, uh, su- such a blessed design that he has given us a family, uh, given us a body, a flock that we can be part of, to stir one another up, to love and to good works. And I want to talk about love today. We talked about uh, several weeks ago now uh, the idea from Colossians 2 and verse 2 of being knit together in love and how important it is if we're going to function as a body, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, for us to be part of one another's lives, for us to be knit together. And we, and we fo- focused a lot on the idea of being knit together Now I want to focus a little bit more on what it is that knits us together. Uh, I want to focus more on love. And and when we talk about love, love is one of the most overused and abused words in the English language. You can love pizza, love your dog, love Steelers football, love your spouse, uh, all at the same time, hopefully in different ways. Um, but, But when we come to the scripture, God not only uses the word love, he defines it for us. Uh, in fact, I think about 1 John 4 and verse 8 when it says, God is love. I think perhaps that statement tells us more about love than it tells us about God. <laughs> God defines love. God shows us what love truly is. And so throughout the scripture, as we look at God's character, how he interacts with mankind, as we look at Jesus, we come to understand really what the word love means. But there's one passage, perhaps more than any other, that that God does very directly kind of define love for us, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You you might be familiar with this chapter. Sometimes we read it almost like it's it's a psalm, uh, because it's a very beautiful section of scripture. But unlike a, a psalm, 1 Corinthians 13 does have a context. It's right in the middle of a letter to a church that had a bunch of problems, to the church in Corinth. Uh, If you read earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, you see that there was a lot of division happening within this church. Uh, They were exalting themselves one above another. Some were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus. Uh, Perhaps those are just examples that Paul is using. But they they were uh, having this divisive attitude, this very carnal attitude. And we see that in particular showing itself in their assemblies. Uh, In chapter 12 through 14, uh, a lot of what Paul is addressing is that their assemblies at Corinth were a train wreck. Uh, Chapter 11, he he talks about how they're misusing what was intended to be the Lord's Supper as as really just a self-indulgent feast for for their own appetites. Um, But we see as well they were misusing spiritual gifts. Uh, in the, the infancy of the church, they have the ability to, to speak in different tongues, uh, work different miracles, and they, instead of using this to build up and edify the body, they were using it to exalt one over the other. Um, it, was, it was really more about themselves than it was about serving each other. And so in chapter 12, uh, which I, I think we may talk more about next week, uh, he um, focuses on the church as a body, on their relationships with one another. In chapter 14, he talks about uh, making sure that their assemblies, everything they do within the assembly is unto edification. But right in between those two, you have 1 Corinthians 13, about love. Uh, the, the glue that ties the body together from chapter 12 is love. 
Uh, and that which motivates proper edification within the assembly, chapter 14, is love. And so he calls love a more excellent way. You see that at the end of chapter 12 and verse 31. Uh, he says, earnestly desire the, the greater gifts that they could prophesy, um, you know, or uh, reveal knowledge. But I show you a still more excellent way. And that's what he's going to talk about here in chapter 13. Uh, what, what I want us to do today, uh, maybe a little bit different than some of the sermons we, we normally uh, present from this pulpit, I, I really want this to be kind of a church-assisted Bible reading. Uh, we're just going to read straight through this text verse by verse. Uh, we're not going to jump around, look at a whole lot of other passages. I, I want us to just take some time to look at 1 Corinthians 13 as we're intended to, as a mirror, uh, and try to make some application to, to our lives together. And so I hope we can just kind of let this chapter preach itself. Um, so the first three verses that Mike already read for us show us the absolute necessity of love. Verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. My service without love accomplishes nothing. It doesn't matter how many people I teach, how many sermons I preach, doesn't matter uh, you know, what, what work I do within the kingdom. If I'm not motivated by love, my service is useless. As we seek to make some application to ourselves, I want to ask you, what, what service do you perform within the body, uh, within your service to the Lord? Uh, you know, maybe uh, you teach Bible class, maybe you lead singing, maybe, maybe you help clean the building, maybe you are writing cards to people visiting the sick, maybe you are serving people in your community, maybe you're uh, involved in our, our letter evangelism, whatever it is, th think about what service you perform in the Lord's service. And, and I want to ask you, why do you do it? Why, why do you do what you do within the body or within your service to the Lord? Is it because of the recognition you get from it? Is, is it maybe not recognition? Maybe, maybe it's about how it makes you feel. Maybe it, uh, you know, the, the feeling that you get from feeling like you've contributed. Uh, maybe it's because it's what's expected from you. Uh, because you're just kind of paying your dues. Or is it truly from love? Uh, do you teach Bible classes because you love these kids? And you love their souls. And you want to see them come to know the Lord and serve him. Do you love these brethren? And want to help them spiritually? Want to stir them up to love and, and good works? Uh, is it motivated by love for the Lord? By wanting people to come to know him and serve him and glorify him the way that he deserves? Is it love for the world around you? Is it love for the people that you are serving and care for, for their souls and their well-being? What, what we see here in the very first verse of the chapter is if it's not motivated by love, if, if it's some other reason, uh, then it's never going to be what it needs to be. If, if it's not motivated by love, then we're going to end up finding reasons to complain about the service that we're rendering. We're, we're going to be dissatisfied with our area of service and maybe the service of others around us. Maybe we're going to dread what we're doing not put in the proper effort, not approach it in the right way, uh, and ultimately, it's not going to be to God's glory. 
Uh, and so we need to, to make sure that any area of service that we are involved in, um, that it's, it's actually about love. It's about loving the people that we're serving. It's about loving the Lord whom we're serving. Verse 2 goes on with the same idea. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Without love, my skills are regarded as nothing. It doesn't matter how talented, how gifted, how knowledgeable I am. Uh, if I don't possess love, my other characteristics or abilities become valueless. You know, love is what should turn our skills into service in the first place. If, if, if when we ask the question, what service do you perform uh, in the body or within the Lord's kingdom, and, and you struggled to give an answer, maybe it's because you're, you're not uh, allowing love to uh, spur you on to action. Love is what should drive us towards service. It's not enough just to be talented. It's not enough to just have knowledge. It's not enough to, to have skills. Um, we have to allow love to uh, motivate us to employ those talents in encouragement and edification of others. Uh, you know, our, our abilities may be impressive to, to the world around us, uh, our, our knowledge, our capability, but in God's kingdom, if we don't have love, whatever it is we have to offer is, is of no value. Um, verse 3, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It doesn't matter how much I give of myself in the Lord's service. If it's not motivated by love, my condition before God is hopeless. You, you, you think about verse 3 here. Somebody surrendering their body to be burned. Somebody giving all their possessions to feed the poor. Why, why would anybody ever do something like that if it wasn't motivated by love? But I... I think we can see that there are some other pretty strong forces in the, the human heart um, that, that could lead us to do even radical and impressive things other than love. Pride. I, I, I think, you know, maybe my service that I'm rendering is more about how it makes me feel. And, you know, what... Did, did you see what I sacrificed? Did you see what I gave? Do you see how much I'm doing? And, and maybe it's not even other people seeing it. Maybe it's me seeing it. Maybe it's, maybe it's how it makes me feel about myself um, and that that's what's driving. We, we might go the extra mile in service just so we can say we've gone the extra mile because that's what's impressive and commendable in our eyes and we're pursuing this feeling of satisfaction that, that we've, we've done more than other people are doing. Maybe we're less interested in the people we are serving or sacrificing for and more interested in the sacrifice and the service itself. Do you think that might be a problem? I think sometimes we, we, we want to be doing this, we want to be doing that, and it's not so much about the people that would benefit from it. <laughs> it's not so much about the good that it would do in the kingdom. It's about being able to say that we're doing this and being able to say that we're doing that. Uh, and again, maybe that's not even telling other people about it. Maybe that's just how it makes me feel. If it's not genuinely motivated by love, you know, some 
may expend themselves tirelessly in the Lord's service, only so that at the end of the day they can pat themselves on the back for how much they're doing for the Lord. That can't be us. That can't be me. God does not just look at the outward actions. He looks at the heart. And no price that I could ever pay will atone for a heart where the love of God is not front and center. We need to make sure any service we undertake, any sacrifice we make, uh, needs to come back to genuinely striving to to allow God's love to, to show forth through us, to drive us. And so I have to start with love. My service, the employment of my skills, and my sacrifices will follow, but love has to be the foundation, has to be uh, what is driving me. If there is to be any positive impact on others, any value of my abilities, any profit to my soul, I must have love, uh, God's love. But, but as we see the importance and the necessity of love, it brings us back to the question, well, what, what is love? What, what is this, this force, this character that is so vital to my service uh, to the Lord? And God uh, gives us a very detailed description here. And this is where I want us to really pull out the mirror and take some time trying to, to look at ourselves. Uh, there are 15 points. You know, sometimes you have a three-point sermon, a four-point sermon. We're going to have a 15-point uh, uh, sermon here. Um, and so we're, we're not going to take a whole lot of time on each one. But what I want to challenge ourselves is as we go through each one of these, not just to be thinking about information, but thinking about application. Th- thinking about uh, wh- which one of these am I struggling with? As, as we go through these 15, try, try to think, okay, um, maybe this one or these two are, are ones that I particularly need to work on. Um, do, do some inventory uh, of your own heart as we look through these questions. And, and the question is not, um, you know, do, do I know this? The question is, am I living this? So love is patient, long-suffering. The, the word here literally comes from two Greek words meaning long-tempered. It's the opposite of being quick-tempered, right? Um, do, do I retaliate when others wrong me? Is my temper easily stirred up? Uh, do I quickly become frustrated or upset with others? Or do I respond to, to the wrath and animosity of others with uh, a soft answer? Do I react to being wrong with gentleness and forbearance? Do I turn the other cheek when insulted or ridiculed? Love is kind, uh, gracious, uh, pleasant or mild. This is the opposite of bitter, the opposite of of, of sharp or harsh. Uh, In Luke 5 and verse 39, this word is actually used in a different context uh, to describe the old wine that has, has mellowed and become pleasant to the taste. It, it's kind of taken off that, that bitter or sharp edge to it. Um, and so that, that's what we're talking about here. Am I one who is known to have a sweet disposition? <laughs> um, am I pleasant to be around? When, when others think about me, what would they think of somebody who shows kindness? Uh, or am I known for being disagreeable and inconsiderate? Uh, bitter and harsh, unpleasant to be around. Love is not jealous. 
uh, does not envy or covet, does not begrudge the possessions or recognition received by others. Think about this in the context of 1 Corinthians. Remember the church in Corinth, uh, there's a lot of problem with with jealousy. Somebody is getting the attention. Somebody is up in front and they're speaking in a tongue uh, and they're getting the glory and I I want that, right? And that's tearing apart the body here. Do we find ourselves feeling ill will towards those who possess things uh, we do not or receive honor and recognition we don't? Or are we genuinely happy for them? Rejoice in the blessings they have received. Rejoice in in the honor or recognition they receive. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, the previous chapter here, talks about how in the body, each member needs to have the same care for one another. Uh, When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member is honored, we all rejoice. It's not just about the honor that I receive. We need to rather um, be focused on, on others, not uh, jealous and envious for our own recognition um, or pleasure. Love doesn't brag, doesn't boast or vaunt itself, doesn't sing its own praises uh, or put its own abilities and accomplishments on display. William Barclay says, true love will always be more impressed with its own unworthiness than with its own merit. Do we enjoy finding opportunities to demonstrate our own knowledge or talents to others? Do we find ourselves trying to bring up our accomplishments in conversation? Uh, Maybe subtly working it into the conversation somehow. Uh, Do we use social media platforms to uh, uh, advertise all the admirable qualities uh, or abilities that we have uh, and put them on display? Or are we more interested in others' abilities and others' accomplishments? I think about Romans 12 and verse 10. uh, It says, show preference to one another in showing honor or or outdo one another in showing honor. Are are we more likely, instead of kind of working into conversation the good things that we've done, to to focus in on conversation the good things that others are doing, to express appreciation, um, to, to build them up and encourage them about what they're doing instead of ourselves? Closely related to this, love is not arrogant, not puffed up or inflated with self-importance. This is the attitude behind bragging. Uh, Maybe I refrain from bragging because I know it's not socially acceptable. Um, But I I find subtle ways to work in my my desire to to brag. Um, In my thoughts, are my thoughts still prideful, uh, focused on my own ego? Or are my thoughts genuinely humble, considering others better or more important than myself? Philippians 2 and verse 4. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. Doesn't act rude or unseemly, disgraceful, dishonorable, or indecent. Uh, do I have good manners? <laughs> and, and when we talk about that, we're not talking about, you know, Emily Post's book of etiquette, uh, you know, things that are culturally... Um, you know, uh, do's and don'ts. We're, we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about acting in such a way that is considerate of other people, right? Um, do we cons- conduct ourselves with, with grace and decency? Um, or do we have a tendency to lose our filter uh, and behave in ways that uh, unnecessarily come across as offensive to other people? Um, 
do, do we allow ourselves to kind of just say whatever we want to say regardless of how that's going to influence or affect others? Love does not, uh, does not see, seek itself. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't insist on its own rights, uh, but rather is focused on others and not ourselves. And, and I think this really is uh, the core of a lot of the negative aspects that are discussed in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Self-seeking is behind anger. It's behind jealousy. It's behind pride. Um, it's all a result of focusing uh, on ourselves. William Barclay also says, in the last analysis, there are in this world only two kinds of people, those who are continually thinking of their rights and those who are continually thinking of their duties, those who always insist upon their privileges and those who always remember their responsibilities. Are we constantly thinking and pursuing our own glory and desires, or are we constantly losing self in service to others' needs and desires? Um, if you're not, by this point, feeling a little bit uncomfortable, um, then, then you're probably not looking into the mirror. Uh, I, I feel like I'm stomping on my toes as much as anybody else, but this is, this is what we need. Um, love is not provoked. Not easily irritated or incensed. Um, this is kind of the, the negative side of, of being long-suffering. Um, do I walk around with a chip on my shoulder? Do I get easily offended or worked up about something? If somebody was trying to push my buttons and get me angry, would they find it to be an easy task? Um, you know, anger is often, as we said, the result of, of self Focus. Somebody is dishonoring me. Somebody's not appreciating me. Somebody is making me feel a certain way. Um, if, if we can take the focus off ourselves, uh, then we're going to have that long temper, that patient attitude, not being easily provoked. Love doesn't dwell on evil. Uh, thinks no evil, some versions say, or doesn't keep a record or tally of wrongs suffered. Uh, the, the word here doesn't dwell on evil. Dwell is actually a technical term in commercial dealing uh, for entering, a entering something on a debt or a leisure. That's the way the Greek word is used in other contexts. Um, so uh, keeping a record of wrong. Do, do I, I constantly um, find myself bringing up the hurts that I've suffered in, in the past? Um, this word can also mean just consider, ponder, or think on something. Philippians 4 and verse 8 uh, tells us to think on these things using the same word. Um, so do I think and dwell on negative things? Am I critical of others? Do I find it hard to forgive, uh, to overlook a fault, or to leave a disagreement in the past? Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness does not find joy in sin or drive pleasure from injustice. Uh, Mike Willis says, anything that is wrong in God's sight should grieve the loving heart because it realizes that someone suffered because of the sin. Knowing that God was grieved by the act of sin causes those who love God to be grieved. Do, do I find sin entertaining in certain contexts? Do I find it humorous? Uh, do I enjoy the pleasures of, of sin? Or do we grieve over the damage it does to the soul uh, of others and the price that had to be paid 
for that sin upon the cross. Um, I, I think this, this happens in different ways. I think, you know, you look at any modern sitcom uh, and a lot of the jokes that uh, arise in one way or another have to do with some sin uh, very often. Um, are, are we taking enjoyment in things that are wrong? Um, or do we take enjoyment in, in seeing others fail um, because it makes us feel better about ourselves? Love rejoices rather in the truth. It values and treasures the truth, uh, even when truth hurts, because we know it's what is needed for the highest good of man's soul. It's what we need, it's what others need as well. Do we welcome the light of God's truth into our hearts to expose the error in our lives? Uh, do, we, do we rejoice to have our toes stepped on um, because we know that it's actually for our good? Do, do we take great joy in the proclamation of God's word to the lost? Do we care deeply enough about others around us to tell them what they need to hear and not just what they want to hear? Genuine love will not gloss over the truth. Genuine love will embrace the truth. Um, we will speak the truth in love. Love bears all things. The word bear here literally means to to roof over or or by covering to keep off something which threatens, to to bear up against. So get get kind of this visual picture of of covering over somebody and bearing whatever dangers or whatever harm would fall upon them. Are we willing to put ourselves in between? our brethren, our neighbors, our enemies, and whatever it is that threatens to hurt them? Are we willing to take the blows upon our own back if it means that others can be saved? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus bore it all. Uh, And that's what we in love are called to do for others. Uh, To be willing to take the hurts and take the pain that might rightfully be others. But if it can help them, we'll take it upon ourselves. Love believes all things, um, believes the best, gives others the benefit of the doubt, willing to trust others. This doesn't mean that love is, is gullible, um, that it'll just believe anything you tell it. That's, that's not the point here, um, that it's even easily deceived or taken advantage of. But what it does mean uh, is that love is not by nature suspicious, untrusting, and assuming the worst, right? Um, it's, it's believing the best. Am I willing to trust others, to believe the best about them, or do I always assume the worst about other people? When, when I see others' actions, am I assuming the worst about their motives? Um, or in love, am I giving them the benefit of the doubt, uh, assuming the best about what it is they're doing? Love hopes all things. Uh, even when evidence may point to the contrary, even when I see that other people are, may not be doing what they ought to be doing, love will genuinely hope the best for them. Um, do, do we write people off? Are, are we pessimistic uh, about their motives? Or are we positive and eager about their potential for good? You know, love won't be quick to apply the principle not to throw one's pearls before swine, right? Uh, there does come a time where we have to apply that principle, but we're not going to immediately... Uh, you know, uh, assume, well, you know, others just don't want to. No, we're going to hope the best of others. We're going to continue to serve 
and to love and to sacrifice in hope that it may accomplish uh, what, what uh, is best for those around us. Love does not let discouragement steal away its hope. And love endures all things. This is very similar to the idea of, of bearing all things that we talked about earlier. Uh, but this literally is the idea of to, to stay or remain under something. Um, to help others lift up their burden. So you get the, the mental picture of bearing all things is kind of covering over somebody from harm. The mental picture of enduring all things is getting under a burden with them and, and lifting it up, right? So we, we, in, we bear all things, we endure all things. Um, do we have a limit to how much of another's load we're willing to carry? You know, I recognize there may be a limit to how much we are able to carry. Um, we may be limited by other obligations. We have limits on our time or resources or capability. But let there never be a limit on our willingness to bear someone else's load, right? Um, we need, in wisdom, to sometimes we need to allow people to suffer the consequences of their own actions uh, because that's actually what they need, right? Um, but may it never be a limit on my willingness to help somebody in need. Uh, there should be no limit to what it is I'm willing to endure for the genuine good of someone else. So how do things look in the mirror? Um, as you think, as you self-evaluate, take some inventory of your own heart, I, I want to challenge you to pick one or two um, if, if you're anything like me, it may be hard to narrow it down. Uh, but pick, pick one or two or three of these that you recognize more than the others you, you really need to work on. Um, and uh, I'd encourage you to carry that with you this week. Uh, carry it with you in prayer. Um, as you go to bed each night this week, come back to those and think, okay, how am I doing on that? Uh, and, and I want, I want to, to mention as well you know, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and leading that list is love. These are not things that we are capable of accomplishing on our own. This is not something that the flesh accomplishes. This is something that God has shown us, that God alone can give us the strength to accomplish. And so you may look at that and say, well, I, I just can't do that. Of course you can't. You need the Lord. You need the Lord to help you. Uh, in, in doing these things. And with his help in faith, uh, you, you can grow um, to better reflect his character uh, and shine forth his love. But there's no characteristic more foundational than love. And in the last part of this chapter, uh, we see Paul goes on to talk about the permanence of love. Let's read together verse 8 through 10. We see love is unfailing. Verse 8, it says, Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. You see in context, there's this contrast between the things that they were emphasizing. They were emphasizing their abilities, their, their, their spiritual gifts. They were able to speak in tongues. They were able to prophesy, whatever it may be. And Paul's saying, those things aren't going to last forever. 
Those things are going to be done away with. Um, those things were all for a purpose of putting these parts together of God's completed revelation that when the, the perfect revelation within his word were to come, that there would no longer be a need for further revelation. Uh, there would no longer be a need for, for those uh, different gifts that brought about uh, the revelation. And even as we apply this to ourselves, our, our knowledge will fade away. Our abilities will wane. Um, as, as we get older, uh, there are going to be things that we knew that we've forgotten. There, there are going to be things that we were able to do that we're not able to do. But love does not have to be impaired by time or age. Love is something that we can always offer. Um, and so while some of these things that we might be more impressed with outwardly um, are going to fade, love, as God intends it, is something that we should grow even more and more in. Um, there may be a whole lot of ways that you're not able to serve, but you can love. And at the end of the day, that's most important because that uh, will have the deepest, most lasting impact. And love is complete. Look, look in verse 11 and 12. He goes on with the same idea. It says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Uh, building on what he just said in verse 8 through 10, uh, these miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues, knowledge, prophecy, he calls them in part uh, because, you know, Peter had a part and Paul had a part and, and John had a part. They were each uh, offering something to bring about this full revelation uh, of God's will under the New Testament. Um, but those were intended not to, to last forever. Those gifts were not intended to last forever. They, they were part of the infancy of the church, really. And so these things that the Corinthians were so focused on and so excited about and glorying in, Paul says that, that that's, that's part of the, the infancy. That's part of the, the childishness uh, of, of where the church is at right now. There will come a time where those things will no longer be needed. Um, and so the reason the gifts will cease and love will endure is because the gifts were only ever intended to serve a passing purpose. Gifts were part of the infancy of the church. Uh, and, I, and I think about uh, in 2 Peter 1, when it tells us, add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, uh, so on and so forth. Um, do you know what, what's at the top of that list? And to brotherly kindness, add love. Um, love is not something that, that we, we work on on a certain stage of our spiritual growth, and then we got it good, and then we keep going, right? <laughs> No, love is, is both the foundation and the highest height of our growth in our service to the Lord. Um, it, it's not something that, that we're going to serve, uh, that's going to serve a passing purpose and then be replaced by something else. Uh, God's love is something that will never be replaced or surpassed by something greater. Uh, never be replaced by something more complete or more mature. There, there is nothing. Greater. There is no, no higher height of spiritual maturity than growing in love. And love is preeminent. Look what he closes this, this chapter by saying. In verse 13 he says, But now faith, hope, love 
abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Even beyond spiritual gifts, faith and hope and love are going to abide, but he says the greatest of these is love. You think about how important faith is. You think about how much that's emphasized throughout the scripture. Walking by faith. But you know, Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the conviction of things not seen. And so when we one day see the Lord with our own eyes, there's no longer going to be a need for faith. We're, we're going to, our faith is going to become sight. Faith one day is going to, to pass away and be replaced by, by the reality of what we see face to face, right? Um, hope is vital. You think about how, how much the scripture emphasizes hope, and yet we don't hope for what we see. We hope for what we do not see, Romans 8 and verse 24. And so hope, as important as it is, will no longer be needed in heaven when our hope is realized. Hope will be replaced with our reward. But love will last forever. Uh, even when faith is no longer needed, when it becomes sight, even when hope becomes reality, love will continue. In fact, the love that we share with the Lord will be the greatest joy of heaven. So even in comparison with things like faith and hope, love will last eternally. If we want the joy of God's love eternally, we must be reflecting it in our own lives now. We must be growing in it now. Are we walking the more excellent way? If, if not, what changes do we need to make? Um, if you recognize that there's some area that you need to grow, um, hopefully all of us recognize that, but if, if you recognize there's some area that, that you need the help of these brethren, that you need to reach out, maybe you need to, to make things right where you have wronged someone. Uh, maybe you're really struggling and, and you need the support of your brother. Reach out to somebody, whether it be publicly, whether it be individually. Um, let's all respond to the invitation, um, to the call to action, to love as our Lord loves. There's nothing more vital, nothing more foundational to being who God wants us to be. Everything else is built upon our love for the Lord and our love for one another. If there's any way that we can help you today, if you need to confess some sin, to come to the Lord for the first time, um, to ask for the support of these brethren, we want to do that now. That's why we're here, is to help one another grow. Uh, if, if you do need to respond in some public way to the invitation, won't you do so now?